I like the made-up uh, word visioneering. It's a combination of vision and engineering. You have a vision of something you want to accomplish, and then you have a plan that you engineer to pull off the vision. It's, it's visioneering, and I know that many of you are visioneering people. You have dreams and goals, and you have plans to pull them off. And usually when you read about visioneering, books, articles, conferences, the assumption always is that visioneering is pure. There's nothing ever tainted about your visioneering process. Because who am I to dog your vision? But I want to push back a little and say, you know what? Motives are tricky. So maybe some of your visioneering is not so pure as you think. Here's a common scenario. I know you're not going to believe this scenario. Most of you think there's no way this is ever going to happen to you, but it's going to happen to you. Eventually, one day, most of you in this room will buy a home. No joke. I know you don't believe it. I know you think there's no way, but you will. I know right now it's kind of cool to have roommates. After you're, If you do get married, that won't be so cool. And then I know it's cool to live in the city in small places. Just wait. Once you have kids, if you have kids, that won't be so cool. And you'll want a home. And you'll want a, a specific type of home. You may not think you will, but you will. And here's a common conversation I have because I talk to people all the time who want to buy a home, who are Christians. So they talk about it in a Christian way. They'll say something like, hey, we're going to buy a home. <laughs> it's actually kind of a big home. Uh, but hey, we're buying the big home because we want to host church stuff. Yeah? We want to have people in our house. We want to have a small group. And it's got a lot of bedrooms because when missionaries come on furlough, they can stay right here. And I know there's a lot of rooms, but you never know. We're probably going to adopt a lot of kids one day. Yeah? Visioneering your home. You see that visioneering is not always pure. There's sometimes that the motives get kind of mixed up in there, and you can be talking about one thing and mean something totally different. Because motives can be tricky for all of us. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, your tricky motives for doing those things that, on the surface, seem to be fine. But if we push a little bit, you see that your motives are off, and perhaps they're a little trivial. Right now, we're doing something we rarely do in our church. We're doing a series. Uh, we usually preach through books of the Bible. We finished Revelation in June. We're going to talk about Song of Songs next month. Right now, we have two series going on at once, so it's, it's, you're probably totally confused uh, if you come here from week to week. Um, we're doing one series uh, on um, creation, fall, uh, redemption, and consummation, and then I'm doing a series on the trivial life, and when we're done, you guys can vote and see which one was better. Um, but we're talking about the trivial life, and the question um, that we're thinking about as we're talking about exploring and escaping the default mode of the human heart, uh, the question that we keep asking is that why does your life trend toward that 
which is trivial. <laughs> you, ever, you ever ask yourself that question? Why do I kind of default and trend toward that which is trivial? Why does your heart kind of go that direction just naturally? And that's what we talked about the first week, the heart. We want our hearts to not trend toward the trivial. And if you're a believer, Jesus Christ has died for your sins. He's forgiven you of your trivial life. He has put his Holy Spirit in you. Now you have the power to trend away from the trivial life toward what we've called the weighty life. It's called the weighty life because when you think of God in all of his glory and all his characteristics and all of his perfections put together in one, you say glory. And in the Old Testament, this concept of glory, the word could actually mean heavy. God is heavy or weighty. And when we live lives that glorify him, that bring him praise, we are living the weighty life. And we can, because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. We can trend away from the trivial life and toward the weighty life. But, as we saw the second week, if you find yourself keep going back to the trivial life, it probably has something to do with your worship. Who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? If you keep faltering to the trivial life, away from the weighty life, you probably have a worship problem because we're going to find our satisfaction in God and God alone and worship him and him alone. Now, today's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to talk about your motives. We're going to talk about what are you truly visioneering? Are you visioneering the weighty life or is it the trivial life? And we're going to look at a story today, and it's a great story of a guy who was trending toward the trivial life, and Jesus tried to wake him up and get his attention and get him to trend toward the weighty life. Let's look at this story in Luke chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 12. So if you find it, why don't we go ahead and you go ahead and stand and I'll read it to you. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. For God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You may be seated. I read a story about a woman. She had five sisters, and she got married, and she was the only one of her five sisters who moved away from the home to another state. Years down the road, she got a call that her um, father had died. So her and her husband traveled back to her small town where all her five sisters were still living, and they walked into her parents' home where her grieving mom was, and this uh, sister, along with her husband, started to notice that items in the house had tags on them. And on the tags were the names of the sisters. What the sisters were doing, they were going throughout the house uh, right after their father had died and their mother still grieving, and they're tagging the items that they want. And when the sister walked in, she's like, I cannot believe my selfish and greedy sisters are doing this when my dad just died and my, my mom is grieving. And so she's really upset. And that night at dinner, I mean, there was a lot of tension at the dinner table as the grieving mom was there and all the sisters were there. And the husband of the wife uh, got up and he went and he stood behind the mom and he said, all of you have tagged the items that you want and we are placing our tag on the item that we want. And he placed his hands on her shoulders. Because you see, even in the midst of death, there can still be a lot of greed. And that's what's going on right here in our story. Greed is abounding as this one guy comes to Jesus and he says, I need you to make a ruling on a situation I have between my brother and I to share the inheritance with me. Look at it. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? This seems like a classic case for Judge Judy that she could make a ruling with a dramatic flair. But Jesus doesn't even want to hear the case. He even seems kind of dismissive or uninterested. He's like, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And it's interesting that Jesus has something else in mind for this man and all of those listening, including here. You see, the man's motives for a ruling seem pure on the surface. Maybe he's just mad at his brother for tagging everything, all the stuff in his father's house. And maybe we would do the same thing. We'd be upset, like, this guy's taking all my father's stuff. But Jesus seems to cut to the heart. Look at this verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the 10th commandment right there on coveting. 
A good definition of covetousness is this lust to have more than one's fair share, a boundless grasping for more. Jesus says that you must guard against covetousness and greed because that is the natural default mode of the human heart. Unless you are guarding against greed and covetousness, you will be visioneering the trivial life. Colossians 3, 5 put it like this. Put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. You're like, why is covetousness idolatry? Because you are putting things in the place of God. Rather than wanting God to be your focus, you're focused on acquiring and hoarding the treasures of this earth and losing the very valuable treasure of Christ. Let me hit you with a few verses. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Let me give you another one. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are to guard against covetousness and greed. I know there are some people in here who think that you are the exception. You have a desire to get really rich, and you will do it different. You'll follow all the biblical commands, and you will not fall into any of this covetousness and greed. You think that you're the exception to those verses we just read, but you're not. None of us are. But let's just say something positive. Look at something positive Jesus says at the end of verse 15. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Amen? This is a positive and encouraging statement that our life is not about what we possess. This is what's been happening to me a few months since I've been studying this passage, and I would love for this to happen to you. It's it's very helpful to let your mind get on a loop with this verse. What I mean by that is it's if throughout the day your mind can loop with this verse where your, your, your mind can say, my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. When you want to acquire something, when you think you must have something, my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. Do you believe that? You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying the pressure is off to acquire. The pressure is off to look impressive. The pressure is off to just keep climbing this ladder of financial prestige. The pressure is off. I would want this to loop in my mind. My life does not exist in the abundance of my possessions. It's okay to not have a lot of stuff. I can be accepted and loved by God in Christ. There's more to this life than our stuff. And now Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable um, 
to the potential fool so that he doesn't actually become the rich fool in the parable. See, the, the man who wants a, a decision on the, the, the legal case with his brother is a potential fool, and Jesus is about to tell a parable about a real rich fool. And as you hear this, every single person in here is a potential fool. Don't be offended. I didn't call you a fool. I said you have a lot of potential to be a fool. But don't go there, right? All right. All right. This is a classic example of visioneering the trivial life. Look at this parable, verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So far, so good. Nothing wrong with prosperity. Nothing wrong with profits. Nothing wrong with promotions. The, mi- the man must have been a, a good worker of the land and it produced Plentifully, nothing wrong. This is honestly gained wealth. There's nothing unethical so far going on, nothing shady. And if he's a good businessman, which you think that he probably is, and if you're a good businessman or a good businesswoman, you want to think about scaling and growing the business. And so he does. Verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Once again, in his prosperity, he's thinking about the storage of his crops, grains, and goods. It's part of the visioneering process, right? He has a vision and he has a plan. He's going to tear down the smaller barns and he's going to build the larger barns to store all his goods. Uh, This line of thinking, so far, so good. He's not violating any biblical commands. It seems wise and good for a way to proceed as a good businessman or good businesswoman. Nothing is wrong so far. But... Motives are tricky, aren't they? Yeah? On the surface, this looks good, but motives are tricky. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Right there, his motives are exposed. As all along, he's just visioneering the trivial life. His goals and his visions and a dream are all about himself. I want you to really see this is the thrust of what he's saying. Let me put it up for you. Verses 17 through 19. I want you to notice all the personal pronouns again. I'm going to read it again, okay? Notice the personal pronouns. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid out for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's all about him. There is no indication that he's aware of people in need. It's all about him. There is no thought of the poor who he may need to help. It's all about him. 
There's no mention of the poor widows and orphans that were in abundance at this time. It is all about him. Now watch the punch and the boom of the parable. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Tonight's the night where he has to give an account of God. He is going to die and face God. And the way that he is living shows that he has been the fool because it's all about him. It's all about what he can acquire. It's all about scaling and growing so that he can relax and take it easy because it's all about him. Many of you know the actor Ray uh, Romano who did the show uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. He was the, the star on the show. I don't know if you know this, but before that show, he was like the struggling stand-up comedian and he lived in his parents' basement, so he was like 29 years old. And then he went from living in his parents' basement, and by the time he finished the show, I think he was making more money than any uh, television star you know, per episode. He was just cashing in, very, very wealthy. And at the last show, he was uh, addressing the live studio audience after the uh, show was over, and he's pretty emotional because he did this for several years. And he said, you know, uh, I, a lot has changed. I was living in my parents' basement, and now this has happened over the years. And he said, but when I moved to New York and I first moved out there, he said, my brother stuck this little piece of paper in my luggage. He just kind of snuck it in there. And, and Ray got this piece of paper out, and he's, he's crying, and he, and he reads this to the audience. He says, um, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. Ray's like saying, you know, that would be, that'd be, that'd be foolish. That'd be like the story of our parable here, a foolish, where you're focusing on acquiring more and more stuff, and yet you lose your soul. You're separated from God forever. I really want to press this on you, on this concept of the essence of foolishness. Can I, can I read a little quote to you about the essence of foolishness? Let me read this to you a little, really quickly. The essence of foolishness is that we either don't recognize the truth or we choose to ignore it. He made his plans without taking into account God's plans. He failed to come to grips with three fundamental facts, the mortality of his present, the eternality of his future, and the reality that today's choices were forging his future life. Now, as you visioneer your life and you make plans and you have a vision, you need to come to grips with three fundamental facts of life. I'm going to put them up for you. Life is short and you will die. Life is short and you will die. One of the things that amazes me is when I see... Um, those in their 70s and in, the, in their 80s buying lottery tickets. But it actually should amaze me when I see anybody buying lottery tickets because life is short and you're going to die. 
So you win. Okay, what now? You got a lot of money? Well, great. Then what now? Uh, I could buy stuff? Okay, then what? Uh, am I going to die? There you go. Life is short and you will die. Second thing is, there is an eternal life. I would think that for whatever reason, the circumstances I've been in my life, I have thought, this is a really encouraging note, I have thought about death probably more than all of you. That, that's not that great, yeah. Because I spent my 20s basically in a nursing home. I didn't live there, but I, I took care of my grandmother all the 20s, and so I was around death all the time. And one of the things in my interactions with hundreds of residents in the nursing home is that most of them pretty much agree, you know, there is something after this. There is an eternal life. And a lot of the conversations I had with people were often ones of regret. Just regret. They look back on their life, and they just have regrets. Because some of the choices they've made have blown up some relationships. But how about the regrets of that some of the choices you make will have an eternal, uh, will carry on. Like the choice today have an impact on eternal life. I'm not saying you can gain your way to heaven by certain things that you do. But my brothers and sisters, if you truly are a believer in Jesus, and if Jesus Christ truly has forgiven your sins, filled you with the Spirit, you will have fruit in your life of generosity of giving, and not just greed. You ever have a conversation with someone uh, who just loses a, um, a close friend or their parents or grandparents, and you say, were they a believer? And you're like, uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, it's just hard to tell. What if they were talking about you? I mean, did you want people to talk about your funeral, just make stuff up? Yeah, they loved Jesus when they didn't. Like, what would people say about you and the way you live your life now? And, they, and then someone says, hey, they, they, were they a believer? Oh, I don't know. They really liked uh, basketball. Does that count? I just want you to think about what you're manifesting in your life comes from the fruit of a saved life a regenerated life by grace through faith in Jesus. And that will manifest itself in generosity. Not always, of course, but generosity and not the trivial life of greed. Hey, let's go ahead and finish up this parable. Let's finish it up. It gets really good here at the end. Finish it up and look at verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Boy, just underline that, rich toward God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of thinking about the abundance of your possessions. Being rich toward God is about storing up treasures in heaven, and, and that is basically displayed through generosity. Generous in giving to the poor. Generous in giving to the hurting. Generous in giving toward justice and mercy. Generous in giving toward kingdom endeavors through your church and to missionaries and caring for those who are suffering locally and globally. But failing to be rich towards God shows a heart that's not pursuing God. Because a heart that is truly pursuing God will imitate God's heart through generosity. Why? For our God is a giving God. 
And you know what? That's the weighty life. The weighty life is being rich toward God because that is a life that glorifies him. And that's what I want for you, and that's what I want for me, to be visioneering this weighty life and ways to be generous. But be careful. Once again, motives can be off. We can think we're moving in the direction of the weighty life when it's just really a cover to do what we want to do with regard to the trivial life. I'm going to tell you two stories. I had a conversation out in this lobby a few years back, and this guy I know quite well, he said to me, he said, Pastor, I want to make so much money. I want to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. Okay, <laughs> tell me more. And he said, I want to use that money, and I just want to give it away to missionaries. and Just give it away. Just give it away. Give it away. Give it away. And all right, here we go. Is that a good vision? Yeah. I'm not quite sure of his plan to pull that off, but that's a good vision. And I don't know his heart. Maybe his heart truly is, I want to make millions to give away to missionaries. Maybe that's true. But here's the deal. If that's truly his heart, then he will start to give sacrificially of the little that he has right now. How many of you have ever said, don't raise your hand so I don't have to rebuke you publicly. How many who have ever said, I will give so much money in the offering and missionaries when I start making more? I mean, yeah, you've thought that, right? But get this. If you're not giving out of the little that you have now, when you start banking a lot of money, don't think you're going to automatically switch that on. That's why we encourage college students while you're here to give here, even in small amounts in keeping with your really low income, right? But you're developing a heart and a pattern of generosity now so that when you have more money later, that continues. Another conversation. I was in Haiti, and I was talking to this missionary, and he was a very jaded man. I said, man, why are you so angry? He's like, I'm sick and tired of these Americans coming here on these short-term mission trips. I'm like, oh, I'm an American, and I'm here on a short-term trip. <laughs> Tell me more. He's like, now yeah, they just come in here. And they, they want to serve orphans. They want to serve the poor. He said, the only reason they're doing it is so they don't feel bad about themselves when they go back to America and buy all their stuff. I don't know your motives, right? Motives are tricky. Are we here to serve and to do things Right, right, caring for the poor and the needy. Are we doing that just to cover up and make us feel good about our own pursuits? Motives are tricky. That's why we want to come to God and have these open hands and say, Lord, it is all yours. You have saved me. You have filled me with the Spirit, and you've given me stuff, and I simply want to have these open hands and reshuffle your funds to be generous, to give to your glory so that I'm living the weighty life 
and not the trivial life. All right, we're going to do something kind of fun here at the end. We're going to do a little prayer. But the prayer is going to be, we're going to reshuffle also Jesus' parable. This is what the rich man should have said, okay? So I found this little quote here, and it's going to be the prayer here at the end. Of what the rich man should have said, and may your heart say that as well. All right, so go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'm going to end by praying, hopefully your heart and my heart, uh, what a transformed heart would have said. Let's pray. God, this is all yours. You have made my fields prosper. Show me how to express with my riches that you are my treasure and the riches are not. I already have enough. I don't need a bigger and bigger safety net. I don't need better food, better drink, better parties. I do indeed want to make merry, but not in self-indulgent parties with rich retirees. I want to make merry with the people who have been helped by my generosity. I want the fullest blessing of giving because you taught me, Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen.